Praise the Lord. Uh, we just came back from the land of sunshine where there wasn't a whole lot, and uh, sunny California was cool. But uh, anyway, it's good to be back. I did uh, spend some time studying the prophet Jeremiah. And as you know, we've had some strange and unusual pressures on the church for some months now. And some people have often underestimated me, um, thinking that all things are as they appear. But um, there are a lot of times, you know, that people come here and they come in grave clothes, or had you noticed? I mean, the, the odor of death is about them. Their background is totally repulsive, wicked, evil. And we've learned at Hagwish to put up with the grave clothes for the sake of those who have been raised to newness of life. And it takes a while sometimes to realize whether the person just simply has some grave clothes hanging on them or whether they're deliberately hanging on to them. Now, for some time now, uh, every so often somebody, the Lord sends somebody this way, and often in my ministry, he has sent a young man my way, and he has said to me, when I looked at that young man, this is a chosen vessel unto me. There's some of you sitting in here that God said that to me about you. Uh, I think one of the oldest ones in terms of being here at the church is sitting on the back row back there, Bob Gregory. Do you know he said that about you, boy? Well, you're a chosen vessel. Get busy doing right. And, um, and the Lord gave me instructions concerning this one that I was to really be especially mindful, especially patient, and especially helpful to that person. Now there came a time, some months back, someone showed up here and the Lord said to me, help him. And that was kind of strange because ordinarily he's always said, this is someone I've chosen and I want you to, I've got something special for them. That wasn't said about this particular one, but I was, every time I prayed, I got the same instructions, help him, help him. So I did. And, uh, but I also was watching, because I read my Bible, you watch as well as pray. And, uh, some of you came to me and said, ding, ding, the radar is saying danger, danger. And I said, yeah, I know. Because the grave clothes were very smelly. And there were a lot of things that didn't jee-haw. But the Lord told me this person has tremendous potential. And if he'll take advantage of my bringing him here, then he can be used as dynamite for the Lord. 
So I opened doors to him. And some of my closest helpers and friends said, what is Pastor doing? Doesn't he see? You didn't think I knew that, did you? Uh, doesn't he see? Doesn't he know? And I asked the Lord, and he said, help him. Help him. Well, now, one way you help people, you give them enough rope to hang themselves. And there are times when God will not seal up the judgment on an individual until he has reached to the last nth degree to help them. So they can never say, nobody ever really cared, nobody ever gave me a chance, everybody was always down on me. And there comes a time when they turn. I've had preachers do this in the past. I've stayed with preachers whom everybody said, you should let them go. Don't go to their place anymore. And the Lord would tell me, go back. But once I was convinced that they had reached a decision point and they could either go on with the Lord in deliverance or they were ready to flake off, fall back and use deliverance as a tool to get money, fame, or whatever. Although, Lord, I don't know how you'd why they'd be so mistaken as to think that. But anyway, uh, once they committed themselves, then I dropped them like a hot potato. Well, uh, the time has come for the, clock, the flock to close ranks. Uh, the young man made a fatal blunder. He attacked the sheep. And some of you have been here long enough to know and I'll put up with a lot of things against myself. But one thing I will not tolerate is my sheep being wounded. And I kept praying. And when I was in California, the Lord gave me the word, destroy him. And that's exactly what I plan to do. Because the Bible says, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. Unfortunately, he's not here this morning because I plan to recognize him personally by name. But in the meanwhile, just know, don't be frightened. He's no worse now than he was before you knew about it. Amen. You say, well, why would somebody like that be permitted to come and go? One thing you've got to learn, and I've got to learn to fight witchcraft wherever it is. The most dangerous place is inside the ranks. And, but the time has come now to spit him out. And the way you do that, the flock closes ranks. And I just thought I would give you a little glue this morning. I brought my inoculation kit. Is the enemy on the move? Oh, yes. Is God on the move? He's already moved ahead of him. And some people may say, well, why didn't I pick up on it? Very likely because if you had and had said something about it, it would have frightened him off. But you were one who was to help, to help, to help. And you couldn't do it with suspicion in your mind. So don't worry about it. Nothing that has happened is out of control. 
the worst damage has already, the dike has already been patched. There are a few leaks here and there, but they'll be patched very rapidly. The Word of God has proven true, and those who have been attacked have come to know again how much it means to have a solid bulwark of Scripture to hold fast in a storm. You see, you just have to know that Word. It has to be a part of you. It can't be just, it's nice to have it on the walls, but it also has to be in your heart. And so praise the Lord. What this means is we're ready for another leap forward. And it takes a while for people, and we have to, you say, well, we were suckers. No. Jesus put up with Judas the entire time of his ministry. Do you think he didn't see through him? Why he said, haven't I chosen you twelve and one of you is a demon? You never know when you pick up a demon incarnate. But that's all right. When there is time and space for repentance and it doesn't come, the only thing left is judgment. Wild, horrible, irreversible judgment. And of course that's God's part and I'm sure he'll take care of that. He's seems to me like he's taken care of that pretty well in the past, hasn't he? I mean, Pharaoh and Egypt got away with things for nearly 400 years, and when God moved in mighty power, he evened the books up, as I recall. So don't think anything is wasted. Everything has its place and its value, and uh, the Lord is about to move forward again. Remember, we've been talking for some time about finding the place. And every time the Lord would speak to me, I'd say, is there something I need to do? He said, keep on doing what I told you. I said, yes, sir. But then, um, there comes a time when all the cards are in, the chips are down, and it's time to pull the noose. Let's look in Ephesians, please. <clears throat> in Ephesians, chapter 4. I would keep, keep you in mind of this, that in spite of what the witches and warlocks say, message. In spite of everything the witches and warlocks say and believe, God is the one who gave the instructions, thou shalt not suffer a witch to live. And we're not talking about chopping their heads off, but we can, they won't live inside the congregation. We want this aquarium to be very unhealthy for that type of fish. There are many kinds of strange fish swim around in the Hegwish Aquarium. And they may not all be to your liking, but they're to God's liking if he sends them. But there are some that will not fit, 
And that's the ones on whom witchcraft fits. And uncleanness goes with witchcraft. Witchcraft is, un, is abominably unclean. Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, let's see. Let's look back down to verse 14. That we, talking about the believers, henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men. That means by the slyness and cleverness of men. By the way, you'll find out these people are compulsive liars. They lie when the truth would do better. It's the, they're driven to lie. So don't be surprised when you catch them in lies. Don't be surprised when they slander other believers. The church, the pastor, and other believers are fair game for these people. So don't be disturbed by anything you may hear. Because, you know, if you throw a rock out into a pack of dogs, the hit dog will yelp. And I think this one's going to squall before it's over. I'll help him if I can. By the way, aren't you ladies relieved? <laughs> you should be because we're plucking a monster from the midst. All right, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slight or cunning of men, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. And you see, everybody who comes out of sin, everyone who comes out of witchcraft, is filled with deceit, filled with lies, and even as we came out of our backgrounds, full of lying, deceit, all of this, we all have this in our background. Some, because of concentration on wickedness, are even more steeped in it. And you remember when Lazarus came out of the tomb, it was in response to Jesus saying, Lazarus, come forth. The words of life. And when he came out, you remember he was wrapped up like an Egyptian mummy from head to toe. He was had bandages all around him. He didn't walk out. He couldn't walk. He hopped out like a bunny rabbit. He was like somebody in a sack race. He was all tied up, and he, went, he came hopping out like a bunny rabbit. And Jesus talked to the people standing by. He could have said, grave clothes fall. And Lazarus would have been freed from the grave clothes, which were put around his body because he was dead. But Jesus didn't do that. He rather said to those who stood around, his helpers, he said, loose him and let him go. That's why I want to caution you to be open for people who come with grave clothes, understanding that they may not be very nice when they come. Neither were we. Neither are we at times even now but we're better hopefully than we were but 
The test is to see whether they submit to loosing the grave clothes. And the people around Jesus are given the job of unwinding those old grave clothes. And you know, when they walked up to Lazarus, they didn't walk up and say, give me that. Good grief, get this mess off. You stink. Wouldn't that have been a lovely way to greet him back from the dead? How do you think they took off those grave clothes? Lovingly and probably with tears. Tears because he had been bound and tears of joy because he was being set free. And I see a deliverance church in that framework. We have people come hopping in all bound up. Some can hardly talk, some can hardly think, some can hardly, uh, their, their minds go astray, all kinds of weird and dreadful things. Not down in Springfield because everything is lovely in Springfield, but up here in wicked old Chicago, we get all of those that are all mixed up and all twisted up in the grave clothes. And many of those grave clothes are on so tight and somebody has tied the knots with such determination that they never be free, that you have to work carefully and, and again and again. Did you ever tie your, sh when you were a kid, you didn't do it since you are grown up, of course, but when you were a kid, did you ever tie your shoelaces in a hard knot? I never shall forget. My dad was one of the most persistent humans on earth when he set his mind to do something. And when I got big enough to go to school, he decided that I was old enough to tie my shoes and somehow I had missed that along the way. So he sat me down before I started school and he said, now it's time, son, for you to learn to tie my sho your shoes. Well, what a disgusting thought. I mean, here my mother could do it so quickly and so easily, it didn't take but just a minute, you know, and then I could be on my merry way. And uh, so I didn't think much of the idea, but uh, being reared in the home I was in, I did not express that uh, distaste. I sat down, not exactly happily, but not sadly either, because that wouldn't have done either. And so, I very laboriously started, he showed me how to tie it. So I worked and worked and I finally got that thing tied. He said, all right, tie the other one. Oh, two of them, oh my goodness. It never seemed that much trouble before. Two shoes. And then, I, uh, so I very laboriously tied that. As soon as I finished, he reached over and he went, zip, zip, do it again. I just got through. He had already said it was tied right. Why do I have to do it again? I, I, I think my lip might have gone. He said, I said, yes, sir. took away all desire. Fear replaced desire to whimper. And I tied it again. We sat there, it seemed like an hour. I'm sure it wasn't. And I tied them. And he ripped the blues every time and said, do it again. 
But you know something? After that dreadful session, I never had any problem tying my shoes anymore. As bad as it was, and it seemed to my simple little mind, my dad knew what he was doing. I could always, after that, tie my shoes. But then, you know, every once in a while, you'd do something wrong and end up with a knot in your shoe, shoelace. And then the stinking thing wouldn't go through the eyelet. And I'd say, Mama, this won't work. She said, well, sit down there and untie it. Well, why couldn't she do it? Well, you tied it, I didn't. What a cruel world I lived in when I was a child. <laughs> but you know, I had to learn how to pick those knots loose. Now, when we're dealing with people in grave clothes, there are going to be times when those knots are so terrible. And the person ahead, I was going to say, oh, pooey, forget it, that's no use. And then God will run you right in behind them, and you'll think, oh, no, not that old hard knot again. And you start picking. But you know, the glorious thing is one of these days, somebody's going to be able to pick that thing loose. And that thing's going to come off, and then that piece of grave clothes will fall away and the person will be free in that area. Now, the grave clothes, everybody has them. And the idea is, is to encourage and to help people to shed them so they don't have to go back to the, the beggarly elements. But he said we shouldn't be children tossed to and fro carried about by every wind of doctrine, sight of man, cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. Here's another characteristic of those who come in. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in him, and unto him, into him, in all things which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body, fitly joined together, compacted by every, that every joint supplies, according to the effectual working of the measure of every part, make the increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. That is, uh, this I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles, walk in the vanity of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Notice where the darkness comes from. It comes from turning away from the truth. It comes from turning away from help. And this brings darkness and a judgment. The understanding is darkened, so it doesn't ma matter how brilliant the mind, it's a total waste. The understanding is darkened, and they become alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Now notice this 19th verse and mark it well. Who being past feeling, that means they've crossed a deadline, they no longer feel as ordinary people would feel. They've passed feeling, they've crossed the line, 
and given themselves over to lasciviousness. Now, if you look up lasciviousness, lasciviousness is sort of a conglomerate of everything nasty and unclean that you can think of rolled up in one nasty ball. And they've given themselves over to this because they're past feeling. To work all uncleanness with greediness. They don't just simply work uncleanness. They don't do it reluctantly because they're bound and driven by demons. They do it with great gusto and excitement because they've gone past feeling and they've crossed the deadline. In other words, they are gathering grave clothes and putting them back on instead of taking them off. They like the way they are. They've made a, they reach a point and make a decision. Now, you and I cannot always tell what's going on. We can tell what looks like is going on. But if God keeps telling you to pray, pray. But there will come a time when the Lord will say to you, just like he said to me the other night in California, destroy him. It's time. And I said, there's no hope then that he's going to do differently. He said, no. You and your people have done everything possible to help him to come free. He has made the choice. And I was able to confirm that. I said I was in California. And so I would just tell you, Again, we must learn to be sensitized to the Holy Spirit lest we let one slip through and the devil destroy one that Jesus had purposed to save their lives by sending them here. On the other hand, we must always be careful and watch as well as pray. We need to pray but be watchful. And we don't have to become suspicious. That's why it's so good in our fellowship, for instance, to know who's who. I mean, to know who's standing behind you praying. To know they're not going to slip up and sandbag you from behind, huh? To know that when you trip and fall and get skinned up, there are people who genuinely care, who will move to your rescue, to move to your support with love and prayer. It's good to know that there are people who, without knowing all the details, will say, I'll take it to the Lord in prayer. It doesn't matter what it is. And there's some things too painful to talk about. And be careful that you don't develop the instincts of a buzzard. A buzzard likes to pick in dead things. Did you ever see one pull the entrails out of an old dead rabbit? And not only is it disgusting and gross, but it stinks. And some people spend most of their time picking dead rabbits. Don't do that. It's enough to know there's a need. If God wants you to know more, he'll tell you. And some people, of course, are running around hunting. And those people, I don't tell anything. If you can pray, if God wants you to know, he'll tell you. If you're part buzzard, he won't tell you anything. You're welcome. 
I go back to being a sparrow, you never would make a very good buzzard anyway. Did you know that a sparrow that tries to be a buzzard is a miserable failure? You will never be as big and stinking and repulsive as a buzzard, no matter how you try. And the other buzzards won't like you either, because you're too little and scrawny. You might as well be content to be God's sparrow. The nice thing about a sparrow, none of them fall that he doesn't know about it. Amen? All right. Now, they've given over to work all uncleanness with greediness, but ye have not so learned Christ. Now, sometimes, you have to remember too, sometimes people give this appearance simply because they have not been taught by word or by example. In the case we're talking about, this is not true. There's been time and opportunity to learn from the word and learn by example that which may not have been known before. And therefore, I am of the opinion there's no excuse. And like I said, I'm moving to protect the flock. And you who have been here a long time know that the one thing you don't want if you want to stay in Hagwish is to rouse the shepherd with the idea that you've hurt one of the flock. Is that true? Because I'll stand with the flock any day against the wolf or snake that comes in among them. I've been known to kill off a few. I've been known to wound with deadly wounds others who got away from me before I could finish the job. But I think it's, and I'm saying, you say, well, why are you saying that to us? Because we could, could have another apprentice among us who has a silly notion they're going to infiltrate this church and destroy it. I've got news for this. church has outlasted many who came to destroy it. This preacher has outlasted more than that. If you want to run across a tough old bird, try my hide on for size. I am sure that when we get to heaven, we're going to be absolutely astounded at the weight and the ferocity of the curses and the witchcraft that's been thrown against this church and against me as the leader. I'm sure we're going to shout all over heaven when we see how he protected us when we didn't even know and we thought we weren't even being protected. And all we got was just a little afterglow. Please turn your tape over. I mean, we got hit with a BB gun and actually there was a, a broadside of 16-inch guns from the battleship fired. But all that got through was a few BB shots and we said, oh, that's smart. Oh, oh, I'm dying. I'm wounded. I'm wounded. Where's the band-aids? I mean, compared to what could have hit us, compared to what was loaded up against us, I think it's incredible. And we won't know that till we get to heaven because if we did, we'd suddenly become God's special apple. So glorious, so wonderful that nobody could stand us. God would have a hard time even. And so he doesn't let us know a lot of these things. But I am convinced 
the assaults have been tremendous because the ministry is tremendous. Because the ministry is straight out of the heart of Jesus who wanted the captives free. And this young man came. I don't know what his motives were at this point. Whether he came to destroy from the beginning or whether he came desiring help. Whatever, it didn't make any difference. Some who come to destroy end up being salvaged. But whatever his motive for coming, he blew it. And now it's over. It's up to him and the Lord from here on out. Because after this morning, the sheep will certainly close ranks. They always do. And for the sake of you visitors, that doesn't mean we're not going to we're going to look down our nose at you and say, "Are you a witch?" Uh, we don't we don't go witch hunting. And if you know me, I don't hang the title witch on somebody without knowing what I'm talking about. Because I don't want somebody to act like one and then be labeled when they're actually just being cantankerous. But like I said, there's virtue in giving a person enough rope to make a nice, tight noose. They're much likely, less likely to slip out. And Lord, then the Lord, you say, who takes up the noose? The Lord does. And it'll be interesting to see what comes about in the next frame of time. Well, the let's go to Philippians chapter 3. I had to resist the impulse to just take Jeremiah and go through it winding. Because Jeremiah hits on all of this. You might read it if you want to. Jeremiah is full of the dangers of returning evil for good. I think about multitudes of people who come through this church, about this young man in particular, who has over and over again received good at the hands of this fellowship. In many ways, he has received encouragement, help, teaching, understanding. Uh, he's received uh, people believing and standing with him. For this he has returned evil and turned and attacked the flock. I had gone out of my way to do exactly what God said and help him. You say, aren't you angry? No. I feel very sad. You say, why? Because you wasted your time. I didn't waste my time. You never waste your time when you do what God says. I feel sad for him because of what he could have been, what he should have been, what God had in mind for him was glorious. And he listened to the wrong voices and he made his choice. And until I was sure he had made his choice, I would not strike. As long as there's a possibility he might turn, I could believe that he would turn and I wouldn't say I'd just continue to pray. <clears throat> In Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk 
so as you have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. This is what we're talking about this morning. Now notice this. They are enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction. Now, Paul has to be talking about people within the body because they knew the people on the outside were demon worshipers, were Satan worshipers, were involved in witchcraft. And they didn't have to be warned against those on the outside for they knew. He has to be talking about those who have come inside the body under false colors. And he says, I have told you often, now tell you even weeping, that these are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, what they want, what they have strong desires for, that's all that they worship, what they want with their mind, their body, and whose glory is in their shame. They glory and rationalize, make excuses for the shameful things they do and say. Their glory is in their shame. Who mind earthly things. They're wrapped up in the earth, therefore they cannot see. You know, somebody said, if you're going to shoot, shoot for the stars. You may miss the stars, but at least you'll hit the treetops. But if you aim for the treetops and you miss, you might hit the ground. Many people have sat there, have lost sight of the heavenly goal. And people who have strayed into witchcraft, whose God is their belly, who mind earthly things, whose glory is their shame, he said, for our conversation, our manner of living is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. Don't you find it interesting that in connection with these people who've sold out to their body and their appetites and have excused themselves for anything and everything, that he turns to the believers and talks to them about their vile body. I think what he's reminding us is we all need to stay close to the Lord. We all need deliverance and cleansing. Otherwise, we could slide the same way these have slid. And we need to realize that when people come, we are here to set them free. Amen? What a glorious responsibility and blessing. And you say, well, I don't want anybody to take advantage of me. I believe we're supposed to be serving for Jesus' sake, are we not? And if you don't serve wholeheartedly, uh, well, let's, let's back up for a minute. Some of you came here total wrecks. I could stand here and point you out. Somebody said, no, don't do that. Uh, <laughs> but uh, none of us had anything particular to be proud of when we came. Let's put it that way. And if somebody had approached us 
And after we opened up, or through discernment, or through our talking with the worker, they had kind of said, you know, well, I'll pray for you. You know. Would you have gotten the help you got? Would you have gotten the help you got? I always pick on Alice because she sits down front here. I remember a time when Alice had some terrible problems. She was just newly saved. And she talked with my wife and I. And she was just brokenhearted about the situation she found herself in. And it was a disaster, right? And she said, and you could tell, she was almost afraid she'd said too much. What if this man and his wife turn, dust their feet off, and walk out of my door? I'm sure that thought ran through her mind. And instead, our hearts just broke. I think we wept with her, possibly. And I said, well, the Lord is just going to fix it, that's all. I don't know how, but he's going to fix it. Our God's big. And he knows answers that his servants don't know anything about. And she's still around here after all these years. You're a poor example, but you're still here, Alice. <laughs> and <laughs> testimony of God's long suffering, aren't we all? Um, it's just amazing, you know. You've got to love. You've got to let that love go. And as that song says, you've got to be willing to be loved, to love. And when you do, you open yourself to get hurt. You ask why there's not much love in the churches? Because it costs to love. You might get hurt. But unless you're willing to open up, how much do you think it hurt Jesus every time he stretched out the word to Judas and knew in his heart that Judas was not receiving it? And yet he say, get the bum out. He waited till the very, very end. How much do you think it hurt him when after all the examples that he gave by deed and word, he had taught self-sacrifice, serving others, uh, seeking to take the place of the servant, and two of his chief disciples getting a big knockdown, drag-out argument, raising Cain about who was going to be the greatest. And I mean, they got hostile. They almost lost their friendship over this. Don't you think after Jesus poured out all that love and still they hadn't learned? And he said, the greatest among you will be the servant of all. Remember, he took the towel, girded himself, took the place of a servant, and then they were so ashamed. But he took that. Don't you think that it hurt for him to think, you still haven't learned. You still haven't learned. 
And then when Peter, you know, and the fireball. Whee! I'll never, all the rest of them can run off and leave you. Not me, I'll fight to the very death. I'll be there. And he took off like a scalded dog and denied Jesus. Denied he ever knew him. Did Jesus give up on him? No. See, Peter wasn't a witch. He wasn't a wicked man. He was a weak man. There's a difference. And in a weak moment, he collapsed. His whole courage and everything gave way, and he played the coward. Jesus knew him. So when he talked to the women, he said, tell the disciples and Peter that I will see them in Galilee. Now, you know, why did he say that? Because he knew Peter. And had he sent the message, tell the disciples to meet me, Peter would say, not me. I blew it. I'm no longer one of the bunch. So knowing Peter's nature, that he would not consider himself one of them, tell the disciples and Peter that I'll see them. Special invitation. So remember this. We must close ranks against wickedness, wantonness, and evil. But on the other hand, we must always have the door open for those who are desperately crying out to help. And it takes the discernment of the Lord to know the difference. You can't turn aside everybody who doesn't look right. That may be the very one that Jesus is going to help. But on the other hand, you can't waste your time over and over again with somebody who doesn't mean business. It takes discernment from the Lord to know how to do this. Some of you, had it not been for a series of workers to help you, you would have never gotten the help that you need. People often come here thinking, if I can get Pastor Worley to pray for me, I'll be set free. And they're so disappointed because a lot of times I don't pray for anybody here. You'll be better off. If you want me to pray for you personally, you'll have a better chance out in the meetings. There I do a lot of praying for people. But here... The workers shoulder the load, and I refuse to rob them of the blessing of serving. I can, I can serve in many places that they don't have an opportunity to go. Our people come here, and they're quite capable. I've had people come to me, well, I need deliverance. I said, well, didn't you get prayer? Yes. But nothing happened. And I questioned them. I said, the worker did exactly what I would have done. If they got no results, I wouldn't either. There's something you've got to look for. There's something you've got to check for to see what's holding things up. But you see, a lot of people think that I've got a little magic wand that I carry in my back pocket. And when nobody's looking, I slip it out and I say, and you're you're free, see. And I just say, now the people that go here, they know better. But it's amazing how people build up that mystique around you. If I was half as powerful or as wise as some people think I was, I wouldn't even speak to you. I'd be so great you'd have to get an appointment to even see me. 
No, it's, uh, the thing is, the body ministry is a much safer, much more comprehensive way of going about it. Because in the body, if somebody strikes a stump, they can call for help. There are many other believers around if you need help, if you need extra discernment. It just makes an awful lot of sense. Whereas if you just have one or two, you're limited to what they can do. Their physical strength is limited. Their discernment is limited to a degree. And their time is limited. When you have a body, you can draw from various backgrounds and so forth. And it works. The good thing about it is that it works. Well, he said, we're going to have these vile bodies changed, fashioned like unto his glorious body, and then we'll not have these terrible problems anymore. I think what he's doing is reminding the believers, don't get high and mighty now because you've located wickedness. Don't forget that we have something to look forward to ourselves. We're not yet what we're going to be. Well, um, the look in Second uh, Thessalonians chapter three. Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse eleven. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, not working at all, but are busy bodies. Now them, now if they'd been living in our day, they'd probably had a three-party line. So they'd get all their calls in. Um, now them that are such, we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus that with quietness they work, eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. God is still on the throne. He's still accomplishing his purposes. And nothing that's been done in his name has been wasted. It's all been carefully conserved. If any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man, and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. Yet count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Now that's the one who's walking disorderly. The one in witchcraft is in a different category. Those who cast spells, who try to get hold of things like pictures, personal objects, to use to work their filthiness on, those God will destroy. For they're not giving any evidence I say again, there's a difference between a weak person and a wicked person. A weak person will fall into something, but they can be touched and convicted, and their hearts will bring them back to the Lord. A wicked person who is deliberately and maliciously wicked will make excuses for what they're doing and will not turn and will descend into witchcraft, which God considers filth and abomination. Now, by the way, if somebody happens that you know of is in witchcraft has obtained a picture of you, a personal thing of you, don't be distressed. My picture went out on thousands of book covers 
and I'm sure in many covens it's the most popular dartboard in the whole uh, thing that they throw pins at. And uh, I'm sure they have dealt me a certain amount of misery, but I'm still walking around, which tells you it's possible. So don't just cave in, just break any soul ties or whatever you can think of with the object they may have gotten, and ask the Lord to just set it on fire when they touch it. Now if you think somebody's using a voodoo doll on you, I always ask the angel to go over and pull the pins out and set fire to the thing destroy it and at the same time make it backfire on the person that's doing it in Psalm 109 it says let him that loves cursing receive it again unto himself and those who are will, wicked and willful and put curses on God's people certainly deserve it on their heads again I've never seen a witch that liked this. They always, no, 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 that's not nice, not nice. I said, it's not nice to put curses on people. And the only way they're going to learn that is have it heaped on their own heads. If you send me a box of rattlesnakes, and I didn't order the rattlesnakes, I will mark on that package, return to the sender unopened. They're not, and when you open them, they bite you tough. You say, you sent a curse on me. No, I just sent back what you sent me. They're not mine. I didn't even open them. I just said, return unopened. They're not mine. And when witches and warlocks throw curses, send them back. If you think someone may be dabbling in witchcraft, and you've had close contact with them, cut all the soul ties between yourself and that person. Cut all the wicked, evil soul ties. And let the Lord set you free from anything they've connected with you. And don't let the devil come and worry you about it. If you think somebody's astral projecting or using ESP on you, bind that thing. I know um, Malky's when they were in Montana, used to had a uh, uh, we used to send people to them for deliverance, and they would have people call them and a couple coming over for deliverance at their house. They didn't have a group, so they just met at their house. And there was a certain man there, and they would. Uh, well, I'll tell you what his name is. Sam Swint. He's a witch, and uh, he's also been cut. But uh, at any rate, he would. Uh, they first they called him to come over and help them. And he would root into the deliverance, stop the deliverance, and start lecturing the people that came, trying to impress them with how much he knew, which was very little. And when you have very little to say and say it for about an hour, it gets pretty boring. And that's what he would do. And of course, the, the people came for deliverance, and they weren't getting it. So Monty and Sharon decided, well, we just won't call him the next time somebody calls us. We'll just tell him to come on, and we won't even tell him, and he won't know. Guess what? They started in deliverance. The phone rang. It was him. He said, ha-ha, you're having deliverance, aren't you? And you didn't call me. They said, how did you know that? Oh, the Lord told me. This happened two or three times, and then they finally, it dawned on them, he was using ESP. So the next time somebody called, coming in for deliverance, they bound up ESP and Sam. The phone did not ring. 
he was blinded. He couldn't come and look it up. And so they just blinded it. And, but if they forgot to do that, the phone would ring every time. Maybe that'll help you to understand some of this. You have people astral projecting around you? Ask the Lord to send some big, ugly angels to where their body is and seal it up so they can't get back in. Then they can have a funeral. That'll stop the astral projection. If you don't stop them from going back in their body, if they get a good scare, it could help. But also bind that up and use the weapons of your warfare. God is telling us, get ready for the onslaughts that are coming. I'm arming you now for this. If you are in deliverance and some man or woman comes around you and you, in deliverance, feel something is wrong, something bad is coming from that person, you don't have to explain lean over to the person leading the deliverance and say, I don't feel right about that person being here. And they'll be asked to step back. Now there are, some, there are times, that doesn't mean that person's a wicked person, it just may mean there's something there that's not quite there that's causing problems. And uh, don't hesitate to do that. Or if you're assigned somebody to pray for you and they pray kind of weird and strange, be sure and let me know or let one of these young men know. It's very easy not to have anybody for them to pray for next time. If they don't know how to pray by now, we pull them off of the prayer line. Don't be hesitant. Don't think we're going to jump down your throat. We'll check it out. And by the time we get a couple of reports on somebody, they're through until they learn more. If they're, we're, not going to, we're not going to let people be real. We don't have this very much. Once in a blue moon we have something like this. But I'll just tell you that for your benefit.